and welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez. I'm Steve Edelman. And today we're going to talk about rigging. Specifically, we're going to talk about chain hoists and truss. And we have a very special guest with us today. We have Elmer Veith. I'm going to give a brief bio. He's spent the last <gasps> 25 years life. working in the event industry. That's Excellent. Focusing on rigging and structure-related projects for more than 20 of those years. He's worked with a bunch of industry-leading companies and is currently the head of sales and marketing for Reliable Design Services in Dallas, Texas. A lot of really cool projects. And he's an active member of the ESTA Technical Standards Program Rigging Working Group, which is a fun bunch of people to talk to if you're ever at one of the meetings. Um, He recently led the task groups charged with updating ANSI E1 6-2 and E1 6-3 standards. Last year, he was elected to serve as the recording secretary for ESTA. And he is currently, this is my favorite part of the whole bio. I'm sorry. Elmer's based in Atlanta, Georgia, where he lives with his wife, son, and their goldfish. What is the goldfish name, Elmer? Otto. Just one. Otto. He's, he's, he's a very picky fish. He does not like other fish. So he, he leaves one fish is enough. <laughs> so, you know, part of the reason that we wanted to talk about this today is many people working, 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 everything shuts down. Gear gets left where it is, or gear gets taken down and shoved back to the shop. Many people that would normally be dealing with that gear on a daily basis are now furloughed, laid off, reduced hours. We are anticipating that a bunch of that will start coming back online in the next few months. And we wanted to go over, you know, what is the routine care and feeding of this gear and some brief reminders on how we can, as we start working with it again, you know, what have we forgotten? What do we need to look at? Um, Before we get there, Elmer, what has your experience been like in the last 10 months <laughs> uh it's well okay, for, well i'm certainly i, I and, and, I'll, and i'll blame ethan for this you actually pronounced my last name wrong it's vice oh, but that's vice. okay yeah, i'm used to I it apologize. it's just it's kind of funny now um it's it's been a weird um you know 10 11 months um for for reliable i mean a, a year ago i was uh tearing my hair out trying to get ready for the nam show uh, where, you know, Reliable had a, a booth and all our people were out there and it was awesome. We came out of that show on a high and February was looking gangbusters. Uh, but, you know, the, the owner of the company, Matt Panther and I have been talking about it. We, you know, we, we hired a new salesperson. I think we, we, well, he was, he was at NAM with it. We hired him in the middle of January. It was, you know, February, we started hearing things like, Oh, okay, let's, let's hedge. You know, we're hedging our bets. We, we were expecting, we were expecting, some challenges for 2020 because of, of the election and, and some and uncertainty in the markets. So we're like, okay, this won't be a big growth here. Let's just hold steady. No, no big equipment investments. Yeah. Yeah. Good plan. And March 1st, we're sitting there going, Whoa, what's going on? Um, and March 12th, we're like, Oh, okay. Now what? Uh, and March 13th, we furloughed all but two of our people. Um, that date keeps coming up in almost yeah. every podcast where we have That's, people like that. Was you know we saw it coming. Matt and I had been had been talking about it. We're like, okay, what's what's the plan here? Um, the and, and it was interesting because Reliable is is one of two companies. Matt Panther also owns a company called Metroplex, um, which does um, kind of millwright work and and machinery work for um, industrial plants, uh, food processing plants, printing plants, things like that. So that side of our business was jamming. We were, they were in the middle of a huge project. Um, and the people that didn't get furloughed were the ones who were in the middle of installing this thing. It was like a 4,000 square foot mezzanine or something, some crazy project we had going on um, that had been in progress for six months. Um, great client. So yeah, we just yeah you know, we looked at it. We 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 when they started talking about PPP and all of that, we were like, okay, what's what's the plan? And you know, we we saw okay, well, they're gonna give us you know you know whatever it is uh, up to twelve weeks, basically twelve weeks worth of, of uh, payroll and stuff. Great, no problem. But then you have to keep maintain all those people for you know x amount of time past there, otherwise you're on the hook. And we looked around and we went, there's there's no way that the industry comes back um, in six months. Not not enough to to carry our entire team for that time, um, which is a, a painful conversation to have, right? So um, 
we're a manufacturer. We, you know, for, well, as we saw things happening, we're like, we're going to, you know, everybody's going to cancel orders. <laughs> yep. Right on schedule. They all went away. Um, and we're the last of the last. They're going to get busy again. Because as work comes back, everyone's going to do everything they can to squeeze every penny out of all the inventory they've already paid for. And I don't blame them. That's what you have to do. Maximize the return on what, on your existing investment. You're going to buy the bare minimum. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, so we basically shut down the, the reliable side of things. We, we had some work going on, but we finished that out and everybody you know took time off. Fortunately um, for our team with what they were doing as far as the, the additional unemployment insurance, uh, we were able to keep our team at a point where they were all making, making what they were making uh, before. So, um, or, or more, myself included, I was one of the people that was furloughed. So I was able to stay even for a little bit, which was great. I got to be stay-at-home dad and school teacher because my son went 100% virtual. Um, but it didn't take long for things to start turning around. Um, probably four or five weeks in, we got a call from, uh, or Matt got a call from one of our, our clients that did big events work. They did like, uh, imagine a, a giant cornhole board that's like four feet by 10 feet. <laughs> built with 12 okay. by 12 towers. And that's what this company oh. would do. They would, they would do these big corporate events. They do big tailgating events and they would do cornhole with like trebuchets. <gasps> okay. Well, uh, so obviously, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the idea is great. I'm like, okay, let's, yeah, this, this is like giant thing, throwing like, like big beanbag chair kind of things at these huge, okay, cool. Well, their work went away. Um, so husband and wife team, like, okay, what do we do now? Okay. We, we have, we don't have a business. What are we going to do? And they looked around, they saw a huge need for hand sanitizer stations and they started scrambling. They made a deal to start getting the, the, the dispenser stations from somebody. They came to us and said, you know, I came to Matt and said, look, we need stands. Um, we have this idea. We're going to brand them. They're going to be all labeled. They're going to look good. They're not going to be these cheesy little things. Um, you know, can you build these stands? Matt's like, sure. We ended up bringing half, over half of our shop back just making stands. Uh, I think during the shutdown, awesome. we built over 15,000 of them for them. Um, that, that was what got us over that first hump. Um, we got through that and, you know, Matt and I, of course I'm furloughed, so I can't be doing any work, but Matt and I would be talking at night and, um, he's like, he's like, I have to bring you guys back. He's like, there's opportunities out there. We've got to go and find them. And we can't do that if you guys aren't here. So we brought the rest of the sales team back. Our production team was already back. Um, at this point we are, I think we're about 90 to 95% of staffing right now. Um, and we've been busy from the middle of May through the end of the year. Is it great? No. Um, but between the industrial stuff, the, the food plants have been, you know, cranking up their work. So they're breaking things more often. Okay, let's go fix that stuff. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, so we can go, we can help you out. No problem. So we, we've been very fortunate. We, we finished up the, you know, we're, we're you know, of course, it's, you know, it's January. Now we're, we're closing up the books for last year. And, you know, as we looked at it, it's like, wow, this wasn't as bad as we expected. Um, you know, it wasn't what we wanted, but you know, we had a good year. We've kept our people employed. We've, we've paid our bills and, uh, you know, this year's looking good for us. It's going to be a while till you we know, get honestly, back to building truckloads of trust, but there's been work. So yeah, honestly, that, that sounds, that sounds awesome. Uh, it, to use Steve, one of Steve's favorite words, you guys pivoted well. Oh, I hate that word. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I usually have a few other choice words along with that one. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, what the upside has been that we have seen entertainment work. Um, you know, we're not building stuff for festivals, we're not building stuff for tours, but the installations business has been through the roof. Um, yep. We did, I've, I've, you know, and, and we're seeing a lot of work come out of the, the film and TV side of things. Um, you know, one of the, it's interesting. One of the things that, that seems to be happening that's helping I think the industry as a whole, as the the I mean, ESA you know, worked on getting back to work document, um, Estes Perg Council worked on getting back to work for the, the studio guys. You know, the requirements are being put in place where you know a set can only be used for X amount of time before it has to be cleaned. You, know, you have to spread people out more. Well, they're, they're needing more sets. They're needing to multiply sound stages. Well, they don't just have another soundstage sitting around. They're having to build this stuff. So it's, well, okay, now we need more lights, we need more cable, we need stuff to put it on, we need stands. So in that way, it's helping. I've been talking to, to production workers and stuff I know that have been on shows. Uh, one, one of the guys I, I uh, do a good bit of work with has been doing a lot of the, and he did the Latin Grammys. He's done some of the Univision stuff down in South Florida. And he said, it's, 
you know, we're adding, you know, I think he said load in took an extra week and a half. Loadout took an extra five days. Um, it's like, yeah, uh, what should have been a week loadout to strip the building took almost two weeks. Um, and it's everybody's griping and everybody, but they're working. Um, everybody, now everybody's working for lower rates and all kinds of other things, but you know, there, there's some signs of life there, uh, which, which is good. Um, what worries me is seeing in this effort to get any work, there are, there are some, some companies, um, that are maybe taking some shortcuts that are worrisome. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, and, and there's a lot of questionable work being done out there. I, I can think of a uh, backdrop banner slash flag that was flown on a couple of scissors lifts that tipped over into a building a few months ago in Philadelphia. Um, made national news because it was a political event for someone. Um, but you know, they had two they had two electric scissor lifts tip over outdoors into a, into another building. Fortunately, the building was there to stop them. Now, that shouldn't have happened. Fortunately, the building was strong enough to hold it. Fortunately, it was a really big brick building and they didn't hit where the windows were. You know, um, so those are the things we have to worry about. As we get back to work, we have to, you know, yes, everyone is, there's a sense of desperation in some cases, but we can't give in to going back to the bad old days in the Wild West and just doing whatever to get work done. Um, cause that's not going to turn out well for any of us. So yeah, it's, it's there's my downer note for the day. <laughs> it's like, all right, well, now, but it's a nice transition to people coming back to work because yeah. although I have, I've also seen a bunch of work start back up. Um, a lot of it seems really sketchy. There's been a bunch of local clubs that have been holding concerts right now, like a couple mm-hmm. days ago. Um, yep. so obviously somebody is working. Because concerts don't happen on their own. And, and you know, these these are events, probably 200, 300 people um, inside, of course, because uh, why not? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a different that's a different conversation. Uh, but everyone that I've talked to, if even if they're just they haven't worked for a long time and they get that one off loadout they're clearing a set out of a space that's been sitting there for months or they are setting something up outside or no matter what the gig is, people are like, wow, it has been a long time since I've done that and I made some silly mistakes. So what I'd love to ask you is, is what are some of the things that we need to remind ourselves about when it comes specifically to chain hoists and trusts as that stuff comes back into service? Sure. And, and, you know, I think unfortunately before all this, these, these were the pieces of gear that, that very often were overlooked as far as, as maintenance and service, um, like they should have been, you know, everyone worries about the moving, you know, it's pretty obvious when the moving light goes out or, or when the, the amps won't, when the amp rack is fried and there's no sound, um, you know, the, the chain hoist and trust, well, the chain hoist, you know, okay, well, what are our concerns? Well, the good news is the great news is there's documents that help us with some real good guidance. There's ANSI standards, uh, on both topics, ANSI E1.2 uh, covers aluminum truss and towers. Uh, e, the the 1.6 suite of standards covers uh, powered lifting. Uh, a 6-2 uh, talks about chain noise from the manufacturing and inspection standpoint, uh, which is very important. And 6-3 uh, talks about chain hoist usage, selection and usage. Now, the important thing is in, in 6-2, which we, I say we, because I got to work on it again, um, we talked about the classifications of hoists, how they get used, how often they get used, which determines how often they need to be inspected. Uh, regardless, every, every hoist needs to be inspected at least once a year with a written record kept by a qualified person. And that doesn't mean the factory has to do it. And, and the standards, which you can download from, for free from the ESTA website, uh, have definitions of what all that means. Um, but at least once a year, a qualified technician needs to go through that hoist and check everything. Well, we've pretty much been closed for 10 months. So there's a whole lot of hoists out there now that probably didn't get serviced. A lot of shops just, they weren't thinking about, you know, either either their guys weren't in the building at all um, uh, or that just wasn't where they were, they were putting the payroll hours that they did have. Um, and, I, and that's, I'm not faulting anybody. I'm not, I'm not poo-pooing anybody. It's, it's, it's reality. So, but now we're getting back to it. Now let's, let's be careful. Let's do our work. So what are the dangers if we don't do that? Um, 
chain hoists, especially the what we'll call the European style hoists, the, the hoists that have a DC brake assembly, the, the tolerance in those brakes is very, very, very small. We're talking in the less than a millimeter air gap. Um, this is important because if these hoists are allowed to just sit around in a humid area or a damp area, um, in many cases, you can end up getting condensation between the brake disc and the assembly and they stick. So when you go to energize the hoist, the brake doesn't release right. And, it, and at best, it chatters and makes a bunch of noise. At worst, it, the motor doesn't run. Um, and you'll have to pull the end cap and smack them with a big hammer. Um, the AC brakes, which are uh, more common on, on CM Lodestar's um, coughing hoistings like that, are a little more forgiving, but they, they are still subject to the same issue. Um, you know, those are using zinc-plated steel discs or, or just yeah, pickled and oiled steel discs in some cases. Uh, and again, if they're sitting in a shop that hasn't had heat or environmental control for six or eight months, you know, whether that's you're up north where it was hot all summer and then you know, it's seven degrees outside and your building is about 12, uh, or you're down south where your relative humidity in the shop has been 85, 95%, uh, those brakes are gonna wanna stick. So what are the other issues you can have? Well, we can have condensation in the hoist, which can get into electrical components, can get into bearings. Uh, are your chains going to get scuzzy? Uh, uh, scuzzy chain is the least of my concerns. I'm more worried about the internals. I'm worried about contactors sticking. You know, you hit the up button, you take your finger off, and it keeps going. That's a fun sensation. Um, again, the brake is a big your one. Your definition of fun and mine are very different. It's uh, I, I like watching... <laughs> I like watching and seeing how people respond to stressful situations. <laughs> if we're doing Sorry, our jobs right, if we're doing our jobs right, we should all be very, very bored every day. There shouldn't be excitement on a show floor other than, um, you know, I don't know, catering screwed up and lunch is late. Yeah. That's the kind of excitement I can deal with. Um, I, I rigging should be really boring. And we're just talking about the basic stuff, right? No, we would. So, that, you know, those are things in the chain hoist. Have they been inspected? Have they been load tested? Um, typically, a load protector isn't going to go bad just sitting on the shelf. But again, with some of the hoists, the way the clutches, the slip clutches are built, um, again, lack of use. One of the things in, in the manuals for a lot of the hoists out of Europe, uh, they call for during the, the service inspection is that you overload the hoist um, to force the clutch to slip. You have to make sure it works um, because they'll stick. And all of a sudden, your hoist that's supposed to lift no more than 125% of rated load um, picks up 200%. Now, accidentally, you know, and that's, you know, well, if you're doing your work right, you're not putting a load bigger than that on the hoist. But let's say things get tangled up. Let's say a truss catches on another truss or on a backdrop or something like that and sees an overload or one motor stalls, another one keeps going. Um, this is when you, this is when things like a slipping, a sticking clutch are, are an issue. The motor doesn't start slipping, and all of a sudden you have a middle point on a video wall. You go three feet higher than the rest of the hoists. Well, what's going to happen to your video right. wall on a good day? What's going to happen on your video wall? You know, you're going you're to blow the locks out of it. On a bad day, you know, we just made a big old yard sale. Um, and hopefully nobody got yeah, hurt. I'm full of great. So right, always, <laughs> always. Um, Again, everybody goes home from work in one piece. Yes, absolutely. So. Would you say that if you've had something sitting in a non-climate controlled space for more than three or four months that you're, you're pulling everything out and checking it again before you send it out? Sure. Well, yeah. again, we, 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 go back, we go back to the standards. Um, I love the standards because there's something in writing. And we look at, and, and I'm looking at it right now, 4.2.2 in the chain hoist uh, 6-2 says frequent inspections. Inspections shall be performed by a competent person following items on a table. Records are, records are recommended. When, when do you do a frequent? Every time the motor comes out of the box. Okay, before every gig. The things you'd be getting checked. So you're pulling gear to go out for a show, pull the motor out of the box, run it, make sure the limits are working, make sure the brake is engaging and disengaging, make sure that something didn't happen and the suspension fell out. Who knows? Um, you know, if I'm worried about it, if I'm worried about a chain hoist free, so the so here, here is the perfect storm of problems I can think of with a chain hoist. Hoist got used last spring at an outdoor event. It rained a lot. And the motor came back from the gig because the gig ended early because the world came to an end. Trucks got dumped. Everything got shoved in the corner. 
the shop is up in the northern part of the United States where it gets really, really cold. And they had a cold snap in December while those motors were still sitting in their cases. And the ambient temperature of their shop got down to 15 degrees for a week. I have a chain hoist that's been sitting and rusting for six or eight months that has water corroding all these internal parts. And now I just threw it, a, a free, I threw it through a freeze cycle. So what can happen when I freeze a chain hoist? I can crack a housing. I can crack several housings. I can have ice develop in the bearings and damage the bearings. I can have water that collected in the bottom of the body and where the chain wheel pocket is freeze up and damage the castings, damage the chain guides. Um, there's a lot of companies that, that do outdoor events, a lot of staging companies that leave their stage roof systems in their trucks, never pull them out. They, they kind of service them in the trailers. Maybe they check them in the shop before it goes out. Well, let's say they finished that gig, parked the trailers in the yard and walked away in March. And those motors have been sitting since then. Yeah, I'm worried about freeze damage now throughout the hoist. It is a wow. genuine problem. And it carries through to trust, which we'll get through in a little bit. Um, freezing temperatures are dangerous for cast metal assemblies and forged metal assemblies for that matter. Um, in so much as when you introduce moisture, again, we talked about it. Let's say it sat there in a really hot and humid shop and you know heating cooling cycles in the building and Condensate water collected in the hoist from condensation, and then it gets to freeze. Well, what if you have water in a contactor and it expanded and broke some of the contacts off or caused the body to partially crack so that when it engages, it sticks? Um, you know, I, I, we can, I can sit here in doomsday scenario chain hoist for weeks. Every one of those problems can be avoided by getting that motor out of its case in the shop, hooking it up, and running it. Visual check, look through everything, power it up, listen to it when it's running. Does it sound like a bag of smashed right, so marbles or does it sound nice and smooth? Okay, so I'm going to play what if I'm this person with you. So that's the guy that owns the truss mm -hmm. and the motors. Mm -hmm. What if I'm the guy that's renting that gear and it shows up in my space? What questions should I ask and what checks should I do? on this rental gear before I trust that it's safe. Hey, when was this motor last inspected? Hey, can I get a copy of the inspection report for this hoist? Those are completely those are completely legitimate requests to make to an equipment owner by a client. And it's, and it's stated in the document in the standards documents that that information must be available to interested parties upon request. It's not a big deal. Um, again, you take care of your gear, you have it. Um, it's the same thing as, you know, if you're cross renting, you know, man lifts or anything like that. And, you know, whoever Sunbelt or somebody drops off units, um, where's the PM sticker on it? When was this thing last PM'd? Same, yeah. same, same concept. Since you're held liable if, if you don't notice the damage in the first place. Yeah. All right. So what if I'm the rigger on the call who's been brought in to put this motor in the air? That this is basically our last line of defense. Mm -hmm. What are these guys looking for? As they hang this motor. Well, before anything is hung, while the thing is still on the ground, they should be taking a look at their gear. Again, look for that inspection sticker. You know, mo mo most companies will put a sticker right on the hoist with the date of last inspection. But there should be some documentation with the hoist indicating when it was last checked. Um, they should be making sure that whoever their ground riggers are, are going over everything. Um, before that, before the ground rigger, you know, Ties into ties that basket to the the pull line to go up. He needs to be looking at the hook assembly. Is it is it corroded? Is it clean? Is all the hardware there? Is the latch there? Um, and, and if anything isn't, he needs to stop. And they need to figure out what's going on. Um, you know, it's 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 these frequent checks. Every person who lays their hands on the gear needs to know what the gear does and needs to know what they should be looking for to make sure there isn't a problem. If you're picking, if you're if you're the guy whose hand is going to go pick up the hook and and hook it on onto the shackle to go into the air, uh, or tie tie the bowl into it to send it up, then you need to know what a complete and working hook looks like. And if parts are missing, you need to stop what's going on and say, "Hey, we we have a problem. We have to fix this or swap it out." I would argue you also need to know what it's supposed to sound like because a lot of times with yes. the motor. Sound is if important. If it sounds hinky, something's wrong. <laughs> right. No, absolutely. I, again, and I'm, I guess that's, I, I kind of lump it under the, you know, know what it's, know how it's supposed to work. But yeah, absolutely. 
if the thing sounds like marbles, because usually it's the, it's the ground rigger that's the one that's running the thing out, or is once the point is pulled, he's the one who's going to run the motor out uh, to get it floated out of the case. Um, you know, hopefully right. before they have the whole point pulled, they're going to know there's a problem. Um, but even then, if it sounds like marbles, well, hang on, what, what's going on? Maybe we have to come back to this one. Um, you know, and that's when you flag down whoever's in charge and go, hey, uh, I, gotta, I think we wanted to look at this. Um, so yeah. Excellent. All right, let's play the same game with Truss. So Truss came out of the air March, April, May, depending on where it was and what mm -hmm. it was doing. Got put in a truck or stuck in a shop. What do we need to worry about for them? Well, again, the beauty of it is Truss is supposed to be inspected at least once a year as well. And there's a document that spells it out. Um, the things you're worried about are the things you're always worried about, you know, are, are there, are there, you know, damage, is there damage to the cords? Are there bent members? Um, especially if stuff was being done fast on the out, you know, forklifts are great for destroying trust. Um, there, there, there's nothing quite like an inattentive fork operator to, to make me enjoy writing purchase, you know, quotes for people. Oh, they did what? Well, let me help you out here. Um, Actually, I hate that. I, I hate that being the reason to, to quote jobs. So the things I'm worried about, the trust has been sitting around. Trust doesn't have too many of the same um, issues. You know, we're not worried about brakes freezing up on a trust, things like that. But um, if nobody's had their eyes on it, we, we need to take a look at it. Um, and again, frequent inspections. Every time that stuff's going in or out of the shop, the, the guys pulling it um, need to be taking a look at it, looking out for missing parts, bent parts, cracks, holes, things like that. The biggest concern I have with things that have been sitting, I'm going to go back to the winter issue, is that trust does not like to get stored with water in it. And it happens. Um, storing stuff in, in cold storage is, is dangerous with trust um, because, because of the way it's manufactured, you very often have uh, little relief holes drilled in certain spots for welding is obviously when you're, when you're trying to weld two tubes together and seal them up, the air inside is expanding from the heat of, of the welding process. Um, if you don't relieve that air, then you end up blowing holes in the weld. So you drill a little hole, no big deal. Usually tack it shut when you're done. Not always if you're in a hurry. Use it outdoors, water gets into it very frequently. Happens with towers all the time. Then it gets to freeze. Well, what happens when you have a almost completely enclosed container filled with water and then the water gets to freeze? Yep. Sounds like it might break. As Mr. Edelman's uh, hand gesture just showed, yes, it, it, the water tries to expand um, and you, you blow the stuff out. I, I've, over the years, have done inspections of outdoor installations a number of times where proper precautions weren't taken. And there's, there's one system, I condemned the entire system um, because of the amount of damage from, from, from a freeze. So that's the stuff you're looking for. Let's make sure, you know, we're going to check the usual things. You know, if the truss has casters on it, let's make sure all the hardware is still tight. Make sure the wheels aren't about to fall off in the air. Um, the biggest thing I'm looking for is broken parts, stuff that got damaged by a forklift and stuff was getting moved around the shop. Maybe they brought, yeah, maybe the company brought in some temporary labor just to get things kind of cleaned up during the shutdown. Um, and the guys that were doing it weren't being careful or weren't paying enough attention or just didn't know any better. Um, you know, let's make sure the stuff didn't get smashed as it went on the racks. And then while it was in storage, let's make sure nothing else happened to it. Uh, make sure somebody didn't use it as saw horses because they were using the shop to do a woodworking project while things were slow. I've, I've seen plenty of truss with these nice little one eighth inch channels cut through the tops of it because the carps decided to use the truss as their saw horses. And, and yes, a circular saw will do a great job of ripping through 6061 aluminum. Danielle is dying of laughter. She's seen it, I'm betting. I, I, that, that's the laughter of someone who's actually experienced a carpenter going, oh, what's wrong? As everyone starts screaming, right? So, Elmer, I, I have to ask. So, this is obviously not my area, which is why I'm letting you and Danielle have this conversation without me interjecting. I, I'm an arts and humanities guy, but I'm always on the lookout for things that are well, simple, because simple is good. Simple increases the likelihood that people will get it right more often. Yeah. All the things that you're describing, and before we, we went live and started recording, you know, I, I joked, this is your opportunity to geek out on this stuff. 
none of this sounds super technical or hard. You don't have to be Mr. Science to have followed this conversation. Am I missing the hard stuff? No, we're, t- we're talking about the fundamentals here. Okay, the job of rigging, if the riggers are doing their jobs right, people think they are lazy and don't even notice them because they come in, they get their job done, their stuff works and they go away and there's no drama. Right. That's what we want. We want no drama from rigging. We save that for the automation guys. You know, when 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 the performance, we save it for the show. Well, you know, but, you know, so, so, so there are challenges. OK, when we start getting into the more advanced side of things, um, we start getting into automation systems, getting the flying, flying effects, things like that. Um, all these basics still apply, but we have more things to deal with there because now we're dealing with computer based control systems. Well, are our computers up to date? Is our software up to date? Are we running the latest OS? Have we actually run a simulation of the system offline to make sure that all those updates that just happened or didn't decide to crash the software. Um, I, I recorded a, a session for NAM a few weeks ago um, with, with some kind of automation old timers. And they were talking about a glitch that happened to be in a version of the software they were using, where if you made one little change to affect how the, the, the starter stops time on this one effect worked, it would send an erroneous code message to the winch to go to full throttle to home itself on a 120 foot a second winch. <gasps> oh no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is and this uh, problem? <laughs> well, it, it was interesting because it, it, it was there were it was a it was a it was just one of those things where it was they were working long late hours on site doing the install. The head guy had done this hell thing. Oh okay, yeah, I'll just get this fixed. Didn't leave a note for the other guy going, hey, whatever you do, don't run this code, this move until we get this code fixed. Next day, you know, next night, because of where they were working, guys come in to finish up to do a, do a test run. All of a sudden, the flying carriage gets slammed into the, and he's like, and the client's are going, what just happened? And the, and the guy was like, I have no idea. <laughs> you, know, he, you know, he just, he comes up and says, let me figure it out, but we're done for the night. Um, because we have to re-cable this entire system and, and make some repairs. And, well, do you need to call us? No, I don't need to call. And he, you know, texted his coworker and said, hey, something just happened. Oh, crap. Yeah, I meant to. Oops. I should have laughed, but. Oh, oh it was, it, you know, it was testing. There were no people on the rig. There was a sandbag. It, you know, it's if you're going to have an error line, and, and this is this is from a job that was installed 15 years ago, and these guys were the bleeding edge of technology. It happens, but they had enough operational things in place to make sure that this problem turned itself up long before any performer got near the system. Um, so it's you know, generally though, rigging is pretty. I won't say archaic, but it's basic stuff, okay? You have to make sure your motor controllers are working. Well, it's a simple relay system. Feed power to it. Do the contactors, do the power contactors engage when you hit the button? Great, okay, do the lights come on? Do the breakers hold? Are your cables intact? Or are the ends all smashed because they drove over with forklifts? You know, it's, it is really fundamental stuff. Um, you know, inspecting rigging hardware, really easy stuff. Oh, what's that? Is there five kinks in that five foot long piece of steel? Throw it in the trash. Um, are there a bunch of broken wires showing? Throw it in the trash. You know, it's 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 it is the fundamentals. The danger is that people can start to think that because the stuff is so basic in the concept level that they can just rush through it, um, and that's and that's where we get ourselves in trouble. Um, it, it is you've got to you got to slow yourself down. Yeah, you want to rush through. Oh, yeah. You know what? It's incredibly boring to inspect truss. If I'm really on it and I have a good setup going, I can get through a 10-foot stick of truss fully inspected end-to-end in about 10 minutes. Now inspect 150 pieces of truss. Mind-numbing doesn't even begin to, to – but it's, it's, it's imperative. You, the, the, the biggest thing on an a in-depth inspection, a, 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 free, a periodic inspection on a chain hoist, is the load chain has to be inspected. If you're doing it right, you're doing it one link at a time. And if and if if you gentle listener are not familiar with how long those chains are, 
They're very, very, very long. Well, you're talking about a significant amount of time with greasy yes. gloves. And so a 60 like, foot, the most common length chain in the industry is 60 feet. That's what most rock and roll rigs for most sheds and, and general venues use. Uh, a link of one ton chain is a little over an inch and a quarter long. If you're rigging yeah. in big arenas, um, Superdome in New Orleans, Georgia Dome, or whatever we call it, Mercedes-Benz here in Atlanta now, it's common to have chains that are 150, 175 feet long. The best inspection rigs I've seen for chain are a magnifying glass over a chain, over a shiv cut for the chain and with a chair attached to it. And a technician sits there with a pile of chain and pulls it through with a very bright light, link by link. And when he gets to the end, he rolls the chain 180 degrees and inspects the other side. Steve's eyes just came out of his head, ladies and gentlemen. Well, I'm trying to imagine simultaneously, how long does that take? And my my rodent lawyer brain is saying, wow, what a great thing to do. And simultaneously with that, wow, that takes a long time. I wonder how many people actually do it the right way. I will not comment on your last one. Please um, don't. <laughs> I, I, I will tell you that a, a thorough and complete chain hoist inspection, soup to nuts, should take minimum of one hour. Um, and Rich, if you on the, own three of them is no big deal, but if you own 50 of them, that's a significant amount of time. To give you some perspective, um, I used to work for Atlanta Rigging Systems. So it's, I uh, left there in 2006. Uh, great company, fantastic company. When I left, they had... I think, we were, I think they were around 750 chain hoists in their inventory. The last I heard, they were well into the thousands. Um, All right. For that, you just make inspecting hoists part of like everybody's is, job. You, you, like, well, what it is, is you, you have guys on staff. When you're talking about companies that say you have guys on staff who all they do are inspect hoists every day. Um, the guys at, at PSAV are a great example. They have over, over, I'm friends with the guy that ran hoist inspections for U.S., U.S., U.K., and I think he had the Middle East, and he had between ten and 15,000 electric chain hoists in his purview, and every one of them yeah. had an inspection record book that was kept for it. That's brilliant. You know, I think, Steve, you came into this going, they're going to be talking about stuff, and I have no idea what they're talking about. I'm just going to, you know, and and the look on Steve's face, guys, is like, wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I'm totally nerding out on this. And I'll interject another, you know, observation because I, I'm, Elmer, I'm taking what you're saying, and I am understanding what you're saying because it doesn't sound like it requires a Mr. Science background, thank goodness, because otherwise I'd be clueless. But also, you've made some observations that easily extrapolate to lots of other parts of the live event creation industry. And one comment that you said a few minutes ago is, if we do our job well, you know, inspecting trust, for example, if we do our job well, no one notices. It's boring. And I immediately went to something about which I know a lot more, which is crowd management and event security. And it's the same thing. No one notices the guards or the, you know, what kind of barricades or where they're located. Yep. Everything works. But you raised the corollary, which is always a problem, which is if we do our job well, such that no one notices us and they think that it's easy to do it well, then it winds up being one of the expenses that's cut earliest. Oh, it's just trust. We don't have to inspect it. What could possibly go wrong? It's, it's inanimate. It's just a thing. And a lot of the work that we do to create events and make them look easy is itself the product of really careful inspection and then construction and deconstruction and transportation, all of which stresses whatever system it is that we're talking about. So yep. to me, this is a, a conversation that 
is pretty universal. And I, that's what I'm grooving on here. You know, that's why you see my eyes widening. I'm drawing analogies to a lot of stuff that I actually know something about, in addition to finding this conversation really compelling. Yeah, I mean, it, it's they're universals. If we all do our jobs and do them well, everyone goes. Everyone has a great time and goes home. That that's the goal, the right? Same condition, You know that that's our goal. Um, all right, so let's let's take it back. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play. Who am I now? Uh, I rented twelve sticks of trust to be dropped off at my venue to be put together at a later time. What questions do I ask and what do I look for? I'm going to assume that the second thing is the same thing that you said before. So what do you ask? Um, hey, do you have do you have the uh, inspection record for these? That's going to be a tricky one because unfortunately, a lot of, uh, unfortunately, thorough trust inspection with record keeping is not as widespread in the industry as it should be. Um, so, but you can ask for it. Uh, you need to be asking, hey, uh, do you have the load tables for this trust? What brand is it? Um, you know, can I see, can you, you know, can you please give me the, the, the proper documentation so I know what the, the load limits are? Um, if there's multiple brands of trust being put into the same batch, you know, brand X, brand Y, but they bolt together. Okay, well, I need the load tables for all of them. Because when I, I now need to look at those load tables, see which one has the lowest allowed loads, and that's going to be the control for the system. Uh, when they give you those load tables, you need to go, hey, does this load table uh, include the 15% reduction uh, required in ANSI E1.2 for trust that's being used more than once? Or does this table state the one-time use? Now, the good news is that um, there's a new ver- there's an updated version of 1.2, which should be uh, published first quarter of this year. Um, we've, we've, after much, much work, uh, gotten it through public review. I think the TSC has approved it. Um, so it should be going to ANSI here shortly. Um, one of the requirements that was added in the documentation section was that load tables must indicate clearly whether or not the reuse reduction factor has been accounted for. There should be some information provided as far as how to assemble the truss. If it's bolt together truss, they should be telling you, okay, here's your hardware. Here's how to install it. Here's how much to tighten it. Uh, if it's pinned together truss, it should be, here's the pins. Here's how you install them. Uh, only use these pins. These are, again, they're, they're, they're simple things, but, but that any company you're renting from uh, should be able to provide this information. Uh, once you have the truss, look at it. Go over it. One, just, just like any shipment, you check it over before you sign off on it. Before you sign off on the delivery of that rental, look at the truss. Note if there's damage. Are cord ends dented in? It may not be a problem, but you want to make sure that you note on the paperwork that when we received it, stick number 123C had one cord end dented in. Um, if you see a dented, a bent diagonal member or a broken weld, like that, you want to pull that aside and go, no, I'm not taking this. I'm not going to use this because it's broken. Um, as you're assembling it, same thing for your crew. Don't let them drag it across the floor because that's just a really great way to sand the ends down. Um, but as you're assembling it, take a look at it. Now, when it, if it's sitting there on a big stack on a cart, it may be hard to see the ones in the middle. Well, let's check it again before we start laying it out. Look for, you know, look for cracks in the welds. Look for, again, like I said, the telltale sign of a carpenter getting too close to it with a circular saw, things like that. Um, and just check it over before you put it in the air. Well, you stole my thunder for my stagehand one, so we'll just take that as asked and answered. Well done. Oh, dragging um, it off the floor? Yes. <laughs> oh, don't. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to move a little bit past stuff's been sitting around and it's here. And we're going to assume that it's been inspected. I want to talk to and about the people putting it together and the people overseeing the people putting it together who really haven't been doing this in a, in a year. Mm-hmm. Can you give us like reminders on things to watch out for that we haven't already talked about things like making sure your chain bag is oriented correctly so that we don't hear that sound of the chains coming down or trusses 
having to be oriented a certain way. Can you talk about some of those things? Sure. So I mean, you know, we, we get back to our we get back to our basics. Um, if you're using chain hoist, make sure that the chain, whatever the chain containment system is, is installed correctly. If it's a two bag system, awesome. If it's a one hook, or if it's a two hook system, great. If it's a one hook, not so great. But again, be careful with it. Uh, when you're attaching the the hoist to the truss, make sure the bag is still hanging freely. Make sure it isn't hung up on things. Uh, why? Because we don't want that chain to not go into the bag. Uh, what Daniel was talking about is um, when the load chain uh, isn't going in the bag correctly, either it's not going all the way to the bottom and it piles up uh, or the bag is off kilter, isn't hooked on right or something, the, the chain may miss the opening. Uh, it can spill out. But once it starts to go over, this, this stuff is not light. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about stuff that weighs anywhere from a third of a pound to, when you get to their big, really big, you know, two and two and a half ton hoist, you're talking about a pound and a half, two and a half pounds a foot for chain. Once it starts to go over the side, it'll pull itself out of the bag. And then whatever you have in that bag is going to come hanging out. So if you have a 60 foot chain run up to its limit, um, you know, and, and your building's only 30 feet tall, um, that chain's going to hit the floor and anything in its path on its way to it. Um, so we want to, yeah, we want to make sure that our chains are there. We want to make sure that all of our cables are correctly routed. They're not wrapped around the truss. They're not hung up. They're not going to get pulled on when you start moving the system. Make sure they're not trapped in the rigging. Make sure they're not trapped in the hook. Um, because, you know, it's a really lousy day when you get 25 feet into the air and the connector all of a sudden gets ripped out of the hoist. Uh, and now all of a sudden you have a stalled hoist 25 feet in the air, no lift. And now what do you do? Um, and if someone says ride another motor up to fix it, I, I'm going to walk out of the building right after I throw you out. Um, so th these are the things. Again, we're putting trust together. Make sure we have a washer on each side of the connection. Make sure the bolts are tight. Make sure they're not, you know, don't use an impact gun to put them in, please. It, you don't need it. Um, make sure that they're good and tight. Make sure that the truss cords are aligned as well as you can get them. You don't want the you don't want the truss that's going to be twisted at the connections. You want it to be a nice, nice clean connection if you can as clean as you can make it. Um, double check the hardware. Float the truss when it's at you know waist height. Walk through again. Touch. Yeah, you know, there's one person who's in charge. who's going to touch every truss bolt. Are they tight? Um, you know, it, it's. Uh, it, every time I do you know, a system turn on, you know, for a roof or whatever, I, I'm like, I want this one person to go through. The, well, we're going to no, I want one guy. Are you want to do it in teams? Great. You have there to here. You have from here to here. Every bolt gets touched by you. Because then if I'm going to go around behind you and check it again. And if I find one loose, we're going to have a little talk. If you tell me you checked it, cool. It's on you. Um, it's a big deal. Um, if, it it's pin, if, it's, if it's pin trust, make sure all the pins are in and seated correctly. Um, you know, when you get into the conical style trusts, they're they use a tapered pin. It's really easy to tell when they're in far enough. You can put the R clip on them. No R clips, we got a problem. Um, so that, those are those very basic things. Uh, we were talking about for the ground gears before the motor goes in the air, run it. Make sure it actually goes up when you hit up and down when you hit down. You know, go through your controller, bump all the channels, make sure that they actually all do what they're supposed to do. Make sure the kill button works. You know, while you're test running motors, hit the kill, make sure it kills the whole system. Things like that. Make sure your main disconnect is working. Reset all your breakers. Don't just don't just open the controller, assume that the breakers are all in the on position and get and get to work. No, if they weren't turned off in transit, turn them all off, reset them. You know, again, it's just it's just the fundamentals. Just just go through, right. think the system through. So yes, this is a situation where probably if this is part of your regular job, nothing you heard just then was news to you. However, it's just, you know, bring it back top of mind. Uh, pay a, take a little extra time, make sure you haven't missed a step. Um, and this is a good time for situational awareness. I loved your one person go through and check the bolts. Um, I do that with whenever we bring in an electric and make a change. One person walks through, touches every single fixture and looks for a safety. And then yep. I go through and do the same thing. They think I'm paranoid. I might be, but that, uh, you know, I don't want anything to come out of the air. Um, just that little bit. It helps, first of all, it helps keep people accountable. But secondly, somebody might have made a mistake and missed something. Everybody has bad days. Okay. Yeah. No one is immune and none of us are perfect. 
Um, you know, and my goldfish thinks I'm perfect. So, um, you know, it's things we need to be doing all the time. Let's just take an extra five minutes now. You know, let's add that, you know, you know what? Load-ins are already moving slower. That five minutes isn't going to be a big deal. Um, let's, and, let's and just. What let's you just save in the long run, wait. Um, um, I, I, I'm on all of the, you know, I'm on, I'm on all the different Facebook groups for the, all the, I'm tired of seeing bad practices, but more than that, I'm tired of seeing incidents, yeah. not accidents, they're incidents. Um, it's just, you hear one more story of somebody getting hurt and it's just like, it just, you need to get, yeah. we need to prevent that. All right. So we, we've talked about, I, wa- I want to go back and touch on automation because we've mostly been talking about the big, the big chain motors and, um, but you know, a lot of venues have installed automation mm-hmm. and I would say that that should be subject to the same reuse inspections and some operational rehearsals before you put it to any serious show or occupied use. Sure. Am I right about that? A- absolutely. I mean, you know, we, we can we can do the same thing for manual counterweight rigging. Do you know it, whether we're talking about a let's see, Vortec, but no one knows what those are anymore. You know, a Prodigy uh, system or the, a power lift, or we're talking about uh, you know, a Tate Navigator automation package. Um, if the gear has been sitting, it needs to be gone through. Okay, test your e-stop. Test your power disconnects. Make sure that the command functions work. Make sure the buttons don't stick. Um, yeah, this is one of those things. Dust gets into electronics and contacts get sticky just from sitting. Again, we go back to that, you know, lack of use, lack of environmental uh, control during downtime. How gooey was that thing beforehand? Yeah, you know, how much you know? You think about the, the residue you get from from foggers and hazers. You now combine that with time and temperature. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's are our limit switches working? Things like that. We you know yeah. run through the systems when there's no one near them. That part's important. Don't wait until you're setting up for something to check it for the first time. Um, yeah. You know. Also, something to keep in mind that a lot of brick and mortar venues when they shut down they either shut down or way scale back on their hvac so humidity is all over the place temperature huge swings uh, too hot in the summer and too cold in the winter and and all that will affect all that gear everything from the the counterweight all the way up to the the hoists and the automated rigging of every kind yeah, I mean, just, you know, again, it's go through your gear. Make sure the fundamentals are there. Uh, limit switches are a big deal. They like to stick. Um, you know, even on a good day, limit switches like to stick sometimes, beyond the type of, type of design it is. So, yeah, hit the limits. Make sure they're actually engaging. Make sure they're disengaging. Um, you know, make sure your go controls actually, you know, when you take your finger off, make sure they stop right away. Now, there's nothing – there aren't many things – when it comes to control systems that, you know, make you nervous is taking your finger off and the light staying on for that quarter second. doesn't sound like much, but if you're moving at 60, you know, 16 feet a minute, eh, okay, not much, big deal. 15 feet a second. Yeah. That, that, that quarter second is, is significant. Um, so yeah, I mean, run through your system, run through all of the controls, make sure everything actually works the way it's supposed to work. Uh, make the machine work, run it empty, then put some load on it, run it again. You know, even if it's just a matter of hanging some sandbags off the batten, just to throw some weight on the thing, just to see what happened, make sure it actually, you know, it's holding. Make sure that when you hit stop, that it doesn't slide through the brake. Um, yeah, so we talked about this earlier with chain hoists, chain hoists especially, most chain hoists will move the load even if the brake is stuck. The motors have enough torque to actually drive through the brake. As Danielle just puckered, I can just see it. Uh, yeah, this is the fun part about them. You know, the, the brake, what is it? On, uh, I want to say the half-ton hoist I was dealing with at one point, we had a six kilonewton uh, brake. Um, and it was the same physical size as the brake and the quarter ton hoist we had. If we stuck that six kilonewton onto, onto the smaller motor, we'd snap the chain by stopping the motor at full load. Um, there was enough 
additional stopping force in the brake that it would um, you there is a micro amount of slippage in a brake typically if you have too big of a brake it stops it too quickly you can shock load the chain and brake it great if the brake doesn't release the motor can still drive the load through it in many cases so you can hit the up button or the down button right usually up and um, it'll pull right through the brake uh, without the brake releasing it makes a terrible terrible noise um, but this is yeah and this is the challenge with brakes um you know, the good news is on automation, you typically have multiple brakes on winch systems. You have brakes on the load as well as the motor. Um, but, you know, misuse, abuse, and lack of care can cause anything to fail. Wow. All right. I can't wait to any, get back can, in. I, can I bring any more sunshine to your guys' day? Huh? You know, Dude, you so had good. me feeling really good for a while. You have this way. It's like a, listening to you is like a roller coaster ride. You know, I'm going up. And that feels really good, except that I can see over the edge. And there you go back down again. Elmer, you're killing me. It's, you know, <laughs> it's a gift. It's a gift. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I, I don't like to be gloom and doom guy, but I've watched a lot of carelessness over the years. Um, starting with when I knew absolutely nothing and was on the job site, taking instructions from people that didn't really know what they were doing either. Um, and I've now been doing this long enough that I remember when fall protection was, you know, kind of looked down upon by a lot of guys and, and, you know, I remember working a gig. I was, we, it was a big outdoor event using basically a circus tent. And I remember walking the circus tent, pulling forot over top of the tent and dropping it down the poles. We didn't have any fall protection on. We're sitting on the tent pulling forot. You were pulling forot? Yeah. We we're pulling forot up and over the tent, dropping it down the masts in the middle for the lighting system. What everybody else was doing, what's the big deal? I remember the, the, lead elect- the, head, the head electric on the crew was uh, doing a temporary tie-in. And, you know, we're outdoors. It was muddy. And he had me staying there with a two by four, just in case I had to pry him off the panel. Well, at least and some safety measure. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but that's, yeah, but that, and this is, this, you know, we're, this is, this is 25 years ago. Um, we've come a long way, but there are still job sites in this country where that kind of thing goes on. I, I can say that I know better now. Um, and I can say that when I'm on a job site, I'm much more strict. I mean, I, I end up doing, you know, with tra- I spend a lot of time on trade show floors uh, and I supervise builds for some, some clients and stuff. And I get weird looks when I pull out my, you know, Petzl helmet when we're, you know, building a, a, a deck that we're going to lift with, with genies or something. And I have a 15 minute safety spiel that we go through on how we're going to use lifts and how we're going to do the, do the job. Um, and I have thrown guys off of my job site. It's always fun having the, the head of whatever, you know, I&M, you know, I&D company coming over going, well, what's the problem? I'm like, your guys aren't doing the job right. Well, they know they're, no, they're not doing it the way they're instructed. So your choices are they can listen and do exactly what I'm telling them, or you can find me a new crew. I'm pretty easy. I'll go with either one of those. I'm a real popular guy on a job site. Um, but... Typically, it isn't a problem. The crews listen. They want to do good work. You know, set, you know, make sure we're all, you know, before you start moving stuff, make sure everyone's on the same page. Here's how we're going to do this. The goal is we get our jobs done and no one's bleeding when it's over. Okay? That, that's, that's the base level we're shooting for. You know, let's beat the minimum. Let's let you guys get some extra money for not having to do anything. Um, let's get the job done safely and well and keep the clients happy. That, that's what we all want. And unfortunately for some folks, that's too big of an ask. Elmer, I have one COVID-related question. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is born from my own experience going out on some remote film shoots during the pandemic. I think what I'm seeing is people are being better about health and safety compliance because they're so conscious of so many of our peers not working or not having enough work right now. And so they're grateful for every job and frankly, following instructions a little better. Are you seeing anything like that also? Um, for the, I, uh, no, I have not been out on site since January. Oof. It's like the longest stretch I've, I've not been out. It's, it's, I haven't been on an airplane since the end of January and I'm, I'm bugging out quite frankly. Um, from the guys I've been talking to that have been on job sites, 
yes. Um, you know, they people get that there's a lot at stake. We can either show people how to do it safely and that we can behave ourselves and we can keep the issues in, in check and we can make things happen. Um, or we can just keep, you know, circling the drain. Um, and most people are like, hey, you know what? We can we can show that we can do this. Uh, again, the one rigger I know that was you know, doing some of the stuff down in, in South Florida. Um, everybody, I mean, everybody was good about the fact that, oh, there's gear coming in. Nobody touches anything until it goes through a UV wash. You know, they had a UV uh, tunnel set up for every piece of gear to roll through. Cool. Okay. And everybody got that. No problem. Uh, truck drivers got mad that they couldn't walk in the building. But I mean, they, they literally, the building was locked down. If you were not on the crew, you didn't come inside, period. Um, UPS had literal, UPS and FedEx had a box outside where they could leave packages. They were not allowed to even back their truck through the door. Um, and again, everything, there was one person whose job it was apparently to, to UV everything before it got handled out. Okay. So yeah, I, I, it's, I, I am seeing that. The, the crews I've seen and I've talked to that are doing staging jobs and stuff, yes, they are being much more conscious. I'm seeing, you know, I'm seeing pictures from, from job sites and I'm seeing masks and I'm seeing gloves and I'm seeing hand wash stations or, or sanitizer stations set up, um, you know, and then there's med checks throughout the day. Yeah, this is, this is what it's going to take. And I think that general mentality if we can get it to move forward to the industry will be good for all of us in all respects and improving the, the safety of the job sites. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess I, I wanted to steer you to something more optimistic because you were bringing me down, um, <laughs> frankly. Um, but one of the things, I mean, there have to be some silver linings to this incredibly long, dark period that we're in. And my hope is the people who come back to full employment in our industry will be a little more safety conscious than they were before. And maybe more safety conscious people will work in our industry than before, just because, you know, we've had the time to think about what it takes to even work in our industry. Yeah. And, you know, even the tasks that look simple have significant downside risks. So, you know, Um, I I think about the Event Safety Alliance as an organization, you know, our whole point is to change the culture from the show must go on to life safety first. And it seems that this pandemic may actually contribute to some of that cultural shift, at least I hope. Um, and, And I like the sound of this conversation, at least in that respect. Oh, I, I think you're right. I, I think, you know, we're, I think we're going to get some cross-pollination. Um, you know, so many of, of our coworkers, so many of our industry people have um, have left the industry, hopefully temporarily, right? They're, they've had to go elsewhere for, for employment. Um, we won't go into the, the politics of all that, but they've had to do that. Um, and hopefully they get to come home. One of those benefits is, you know, hopefully where they've been have been places that have better protocols, better um, safety cultures, you know, where the compliance guy isn't the butt of every joke or isn't the guy you try to dodge. Uh, And they get that, oh, those guys are actually there to make our jobs easier, not harder. Um, I think, you know, and we're going to see some of that. I I don't know how we can't. Um, And, you know, I, I think, for the employers, whether it's the promoter, whether it's the owner of the company, they're understanding that it's in their best interest to do these things because, boy, it's expensive when you have to shut down. Um, you know, I have a lot of friends that are in, in the food and bev world, um, you know, bars and restaurants and stuff, or working them. And you know, at least here in Atlanta, the, the 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 better places, if they have one positive test, that place is closed for at least two days. Yep. Um, everybody goes home. If you worked, if that person worked a shift, anybody who was on the shift for them is put on isolation for five to seven days. You, most companies are doing it as best they can with pay, things like that. But they understand that, you know, you, Mike Rose says this, yeah, safety third. And I've heard that before. Safety first is the ideal, mm-hmm. but it's an ideal. We're, we're going to have to trade some things here and there. Um, but if we put good policies and procedures in place, safety comes along with it. Safety shouldn't be this, you know, 
overbearing, controlling kind of thing. It, it just needs to be built into the systems. It need, the way yep. you're working needs to inherently take these things into consideration. And, and we're definitely getting there. I mean, the owner of my company tested positive for COVID the week before Christmas. Um, and he'd been to the shop. Now, where he, how, where he got exposed, he's not sure because when he goes out, he wears masks. He make, you know, he's been around, but okay, it happens. Um, he wasn't feeling well on Friday. He went home Saturday morning. He woke up and felt not well. Got a test. Message out to the entire company. Everybody, we're closed till after Christmas. Have a nice two weeks off. Um, don't worry about. It. You're all on payroll, but everybody, you need to, you know, you need to sit at home for a few days. You need to get tested next week. Um, let me know if, I, you know, nobody else tested positive. Great. Um, yeah, that's, that's great news. You know, it's, it's okay. And as we've, as we've been, you know, as we've gotten back to work, as we're doing jobs, you know, as we look at the schedule, it's not like the old days where we expect to work 30 hours of overtime a week and do whatever to get it done. We have to factor in that there's going to be interruptions. You know, so it's making us be a little more conscious of things. Um, yeah, there's yeah. always that. Going back to what yeah. you said, I think it's you know, my my favorite analogy is that it's baked into the cake. It's not the icing on top of it. Um, so mm-hmm. Some people don't like the icing. It just you know interferes with the cake. So uh, yeah, bake bake the safety in as we go. So it's not a last minute, overly sweet cloying thing. Well, it's, you know, it's, no, like I, crossing I, fine. No calls. Speaking of calls, if you do have anything you want to share with us, including my bad take on frosting, our email address, I, guys, we got a new one. It was my Christmas present. Podcast at eventsafetyalliance.org. Isn't that great? Danielle, can, that is great. Say it again. Podcast at eventsafetyalliance.org. It practically rolls off the tongue. Um during this podcast, we have re- referenced the ESTA standards. You can look those up online. Uh, it is tsp.esta, so technical standards, program.esta.org. Org. And you can find, yep, you can find all of those standards uh, that were referenced today, six, uh, 1.2 and 6-2 and 6-3, all about chain motors and Trust and I apologize if I misspoke any of those numbers as well as mispronouncing Elmer's name at the beginning. I apologize for that as well. Uh, we're going to finish up now uh, since we, we're actually running a little long, which is great. Um, what, me long-winded? No, no one will believe that. <laughs> uh, I want to take this opportunity to thank Elmer for being our special guest today. Uh, thanks to Steve, co-host extraordinaire, who got more than he bargained for today. And always thank you to Jacob, who does all of our engineering and keeps us on track. Uh, all right, guys, last thoughts. Elmer, a special guest. You get to go first. Uh, well, honestly, thank you for doing this. Um, you know, it, it's easy for, for folks to, to get hung up in how things aren't going well. Um, great job to get people thinking about how things are going to go well as we move forward. So thank you very much for that. Steve? Um, I, I just, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to think about working and, and being back to work and not thinking about the insanity going on around us right now, but rather about the, oh, relatively placid times to come. So thank you, Elmer Vyth, for that. My pleasure. All right. And my final thoughts is, Guys, if you need something, let us know. Uh, Don't forget to check out the Event Safety Alliance Reopening Guide available for free on our site uh, in case as you start picking up work again, you want some guidance as to follow so you can get to work safely. All right. I want to thank you guys again and stay safe, everybody.